Good morning. Welcome to Men's Roundtable. Glad you're here. Morning, Joe. Morning, Mark. Morning, boys. Christmas. Culture and Jesus, part two. If you didn't get a sheet, they're out front. Mark, be better prepared next week. Culture. What impact does culture have on Christmas and the way we celebrate it? Man, it is so stinking warm right now. I told Hal, he's got a seasonal Bahamas shirt on, like we're in the Bahamas. I, the cold, yeah, when? When? The weatherman said. Would, yeah, right after deer season, right after duck season. So one of the, one of the holiday favorites that I've done a little investigating into is White Christmas. White, yeah, shake your head. Nah, ain't had no white Christmas around here. White Christmas. So where does that come from? From Las Vegas by a pool in the sun. No, anybody else? The origin of white Christmas. Anybody? Bing Crosby, yep. No, I'm not saying anything about white hair people. Anything else? Although I was told to uh, show up at a luncheon yesterday with some kind of uh, holiday, you know, outfit or something on. Best I can do is my Santa beard. That's all I got. <laughs> White Christmas. Holiday. Number, Holiday Inn. Number one all-time selling single song. Written by Irvin Berlin. A Jewish guy. Come on up here, man. Come on. A Jewish guy wrote White Christmas. He was a song plugger, as he was known. Irvin Berlin, immigrated from Russia, was Jewish. Yeah. But how did we come to associate White Christmas from a Jewish guy? Well, Yesterday being December 7th, the release of White Christmas, while it was written in 40 and 41, was popular in 42 by Bing Crosby after the U.S. had been bombed by the Japanese on December 7th. Yesterday, anniversary. At Christmas, Bing Crosby was concerned as he was doing his tours that the men might not want to hear that song because it gave them a longing for being at home. And it's reported that the guys in the crowds actually were screaming out to him to sing White Christmas. It reminded them of being at home. It reminded them of good times. It reminded them why they were going to war. It reminded them of their families. So I just wonder generationally as a culture, are we losing some of that as our World War II veterans are dying? Just a few remain, very few remain. Are we losing part of that in our culture? So I, I challenge you that we begin carrying the culture to our families, to the younger generations that we remember.
And over the next two to three weeks as we approach Christmas, I'll challenge you. Do some research into some of your favorite holiday traditions. Where did they start? How did they come about? And share that with your family, with your grandkids, or with your kids. My time's up. Let me open this with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for my brother. I thank you for what he has gone through in the last few days. Lord, I thank you that he returned here to us after the celebration of his father's homecoming. I know his heart's heavy, but I know his heart is pure. Lord, bless Phil today as he shares your word to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Morning, gentlemen. Uh, it is a, a joy to be with you uh, this morning. Um, it's been a uh, different kind of week. Um, I shared with you last uh, Thursday morning, uh, my sister and I's prayer that the Lord would bring Papa home and uh, at 6.30 on Thursday night after I'd been here, uh, Papa entered uh, eternity. And so uh, Carla and I, um, drove up to um, Tennessee on Saturday um, and uh, we um, enjoyed time with uh, friends and family and I did the service on Monday uh, morning and then we drove back to Fairhope on Tuesday and I drove back up here yesterday and I'm going back to Fairhope tomorrow. So uh, I kind of feel like a truck driver. <clears throat> but uh, I, you know, um, I love you guys. Um, I love the love and appreciate the many um, texts and emails that I got and your prayers. And I know that many I didn't even know until just now um, of um, um, about my dad. Uh, but uh, thank you for your prayers. And I'm going to kind of weave in a little bit of uh, um, the story of my dad this morning and and I uh, just hope to share a little bit uh, with you um, in a way that will encourage you. And everybody's been through death. Um, death sucks is the way I would, I don't know a better way to say it, but thank uh, the Lord, the gospel is true. Uh, that is uh, the apostle Paul wrote, oh, death, where's your sting? Well, it's like a bee sting, it hurts. Um, but um, it's not uh, eternally, devastating by any means uh, so so glad that papa my dad um, is in a much better place than where he was even this time last week so kind of um in honor um of him and uh, reflecting because everybody's gone through death and everybody knows what that feels like and i invite you this morning to uh celebrate uh the incarnation uh as we've been doing but to do it uh, with a mindset of those that you've lost and uh, those that will soon be lost uh, to us. You, you know, one of my favorite uh, shows that I watched before church on Sunday morning is I always watch the CBS morning show. And um, next week, or I mean, not next week, but at the end of the month, uh, um, when they do the last show of the year, they, they do a montage of the people that we've lost. 
Now, I don't think Papaw's picture will be in that in that montage, at least not on the CBS Morning News, but it will be in mine. And I know you have people um, that would be in your montage. So I want to offer you a song this morning. Uh, again, I love that music opens our heart to the Lord. And I want to offer you a song. I've, I've offered it to you here before, played it. And this is Vince Gill's song, Go Rest High on the Mountain. Many of you know the story um, that he wrote this for his brother when his brother died. Um, and um, as I was looking for the clip, the last clip when I showed it here before was when Duke, my dog, died. Uh, and I played the clip of Vince Gill singing this song at Possum's funeral. Uh, at the Wyman uh, and uh, Possum, of course, those of you who don't know, is George Jones. And uh, so I was looking for the clip. I was going to do the same clip. And then I discovered Loretta Lynn uh, died about three weeks ago. And they had a memorial service at the Wyman, uh, at the Grand Ole Opry. And Vince Gill and a bunch of the other um, singers sang uh, his song, Go Rest High on the Mountain, in honor of Loretta Lynn. My dad loved Loretta Lynn. So I offer you this song, and as, and as we listen to it, I just draw your attention. Of course, the first verse certainly refers to his brother, and, and you can gather that from the, from the first verse, but I just want to read the second and the third verse to you. Go rest high on that mountain. Son, your work on earth is done. Go to heaven a shouting. Love for the Father and the Son. Oh, how we cried the day you left us. We gathered round your grave to grieve. I wish I could see the angels' faces when they hear your sweet voice sing. May you hear the voice of God, and may you remember somebody that would be in your montage of a lost person. I want to do this special for Loretta tonight. This song brings uh, a lot of peace to a lot of people, and I hope it does to her family and all the people that love Loretta Lynn.
Um, <laughs> this is going to be hard this morning, guys. This is going to be hard, but I, I'm, I'm glad to share it with you, and I'm glad that uh, I can be with you. Um, you know, there's two things about listening to that song that makes it so relevant to, uh, to me is, um, I mean, I grew up uh, in Upper East Tennessee. We don't call it East Tennessee. That's Knoxville. I grew up in Upper East Tennessee. That's the Tri-Cities. That's Johnson City, Bristol, Kingsport. And I grew up in a suburb of Johnson City, Elizabethton. And we can tell the foreigners because they say Elizabethton. If you know what Elizabethton is, you pronounce it Elizabethton. The emphasis is on the middle syllable. And um, when I hear that song, Go Rest High on the Mountain, dude, that's what it is. I mean, you're in the mountains and the little family cemetery um, that's right above my house is a is a is a knob, a little we call it a knob that looks out into the valley where I grew up. And so when I hear go rest high on that mountain, it's real. I've been there. I know that mountain. And then the other thing you know, just to share again a little bit of my life with you is that uh, when I grew up, my um, my great uncles, um, my my grandfather was um, part of a family of five brothers, and then uh, he had four sons, of course, my father and three brothers. So it was like you know men everywhere. And uh, four of the of my great uncles um, uh, had the Hardin Brothers Quartet, and this was old bluegrass gospel that the Hardin Brothers Quartet, you know, had the I don't know nothing about music, but they had the juice harp thing, you know, and they sang a cappella, and they sang that bluegrass gospel. And Phil, you would appreciate this, you know, they would do that juice harp thing, and they'd get all in harmony, and then there was that whiny bluegrass gospel music. I loved it. And dude, if you had the Hardin brothers 
singing at your funeral, you were royalty. Because, I mean, these guys were busy, you know. They sang at funerals, um, and they sang at Saturday night church um, sing-alongs, sing or whatever you call them, Phil. I, I can't remember what the, you know, a, a, a Saturday night sing-along, a, a, a singing revival, whatever. And that, those were going on all over those little country churches uh, when I was growing up, but the Hardin Brothers Quartet was quite the deal. So, you know, I'm not famous, but I got uncles that were. <clears throat> Good to be with you. Be on the alert. Stand firm in your faith. Act like men. Be strong. Words from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Christmas, culture, and Jesus. I want you to pick up your pen, and I want you to, to, to write this down, find, find a little spot. I know uh, there's not much uh, blank space there on your note. But just to kind of tease this out, what we're talking about relative to culture uh, in Jesus, um, when we're talking about Jesus at this time of year, we're talking about this phrase. Write this down. Three words. Word became flesh. Now that phrase has changed all of history. The word became flesh. Somebody mentioned to me that that uh, is the pinnacle of, of, of history. And I would agree. Uh, I mean, that's our calendar, BC and AD. That's the hinge, right? But what's really cool even is uh, Genesis 3, and I think it's verse 15, 16 there, when God declared war uh, on Satan. And he said to Satan, after all hell had broken, broken loose, he said, now look, Satan, serpent, I'm going to send somebody. And when I send that somebody, you will bruise his heel, but he will do what? He will crush your little head. He will crush your little head. Now, the, isn't, the, isn't the imagery really cool? I mean, the metaphor language. I mean, at that point, war was declared. And we were waiting on this guy to show up. You will crush his heel. Again, that's symbolic for you'll wound him, but that won't be a fatal wound. It'll hurt. You know, get your heel crushed. That's going to be an, a big ouch. But when God says he will crush your head, that is symbolic of a fatal blow. You won't survive having your head crushed. War was declared at that moment. And all of the rest of the Bible, all of redemptive history is looking forward of how that drama played out. And God's so creative and so imaginative. He'd like to 2,000 years to play that out. You know, I said, I know what. I'll come up with this people. We'll call them Jews, children of Israel, you know, Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, you know. We'll have battles, kings, judges. I mean, then we'll go through like 400 years of silence. I mean, wow. Steven Spielberg, take a back seat. Isn't that cool? 
And then the word became flesh. And then write this down. And we're just going to kind of go through this. The word, Jesus, became a human being. Unbelievable. God became flesh and blood. God became flesh and blood. Jesus became a human. And then, and then through that, man is restored. And that's the thing, guys, so much about the incarnation. It's about restoration. All things become new. Uh, death is swallowed up. We have a whole new story. We have a whole new hope. And all of a sudden, we as men, we get to be Jesus with skin. <clears throat> Again, uh, the ch little children's story um, has such profound teaching that some of the best sermons I've ever heard were the children's sermon. It's like, dude, how about we just stop right there, close in prayer and go home? The children's sermon, I can understand that. And the, and the, and the little children's sermon, once again, is... Little girl is put to bed by daddy. Daddy tucks her in. He leaves the room, cuts the light out, goes downstairs, thunder and lightning, begins to boom, um, lightning a strike. Uh, she starts crying. Daddy hears her crying. Daddy goes back upstairs, cuts the light on, says, sweetheart, what's the matter? Daddy, I'm scared. I'm scared, Daddy. And Daddy, you know, being the good Christian man that he is, he says, well, you know, you just need to pray about it. God will protect you. And the little girl looks at Daddy and gives him a big dose of theology and says, Daddy, I need something with skin on it to hold me. I need something with skin on it to hold me. And that's what we get to do. We get to be the expression of the incarnation. <clears throat> and so what it looks like is you and me get to sit, serve, and share. And that's the story of the incarnation in the gospel. That as Jesus comes to us and by faith enters our life, as we put our faith in Jesus, he comes in to live his life in and through us. And we get to be the Jesus with skin on it. And so we sit with, we serve those around us and we actually share in a loving way. We call that feedback at deer camp and fish camp. Feedback is so critical. Looking into the eyes of another and seeing yourself as a mirror. And when you sit with people who can share the gospel with you through their eyes, sometimes no words is better than some words. 
It's the expression of the gospel. Sit, serve, and share. So I want you to pick up your pen and I want to ask you three questions. Questions are there on your handout. Question number one, who is someone that you want to honor that has influenced your life? This idea of honor is so important. Who's influenced you that you would honor? You know, um, the Ten Commandments tell us to honor our father and mothers. And honor, the Hebrew word there is the picture of a scale, weighted scale. And so what the passage is saying is that as we honor our father and mother, honor those who have poured into our lives, whether it be a football coach or a grandfather, uh, a Sunday school teacher, a pastor, a counselor, an uncle, Honor means to give weight, and let's talk about that. Now, it doesn't mean that this is insufficient. This, this is what will get you into my counseling office. A lot of times, it's the broken pieces. But when we honor, we highlight the story of people's lives. Who would you want to honor right now that's had influence in your life? I'm going to introduce you just briefly uh, to Papaw, Lawrence Harden. I was talking to Joe. I mean, what, what mama would name their son Lawrence? I mean, you may be named Lawrence, but to me, Lawrence of a little baby is kind of like Benjamin Button. If you ever saw that movie, you know, it, it's like the, the, the baby was born old and then aged younger. And it's like, oh, here's an ugly old baby. Let's name him Lawrence. Now, that's my crazy head. You know, again, you may be named Lawrence. Uh, God bless you. You know, <clears throat> but I just, I find that kind of funny. Um, Lawrence just sounds like an, an adult name to me. But uh, this is my dad. Um, when he was uh, 19, 20 years old, he was a World War II official vet. I didn't know that he was... Um, had that status until just this this just a few months ago when Judy was going through lots of his materials because he didn't fight in the war. He entered the army just as the war was coming to an end and he was part of the cleanup crew in Japan. And so because he was still part of the cleanup crew, he got status as a card carrying World War II uh, vet. Uh, this is the picture of my beautiful mama, Mamaw, uh, and Papaw. Uh, and you can see the mountains kind of in uh, behind. This is exactly where I grew up. I know where that picture was taken. Uh, my mother was beautiful. My dad was pretty handsome himself. Mamaw's birthday was December the 27th. And Papaw's birthday was December the 28th. My mother died November the 30th. Seven years ago, Papaw died December the 1st last week. In birth, they were together, and in death, they were together. I find that ironic and interesting. This was the, a picture that was taken um, uh, at their 60th wedding anniversary. 
my sister, her husband, Larry, uh, my mom and papa. Final picture that I'll just show you is this is the graveside. This is um, 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 what, now one of my most prized possessions. I didn't really know this was going to happen. Um, it's funny, they had a color guard that was going to do the 21 gun salute, and the guys were so old, um, half of them were sick with the flu. So, <laughs> so they called in sick. <laughs> So, so the funeral home guy, I'm, I'm seated there, I sat down after I did the service and, and they're presenting uh, the flag. Uh, I'll get me a shadow box or whatever you call those things and this will, this will be uh, a very valued, treasured uh, possession. Guys, even though we don't fear death, that's the beauty of the gospel, we honor those that have gone before us. Second question I would ask you, how do you grieve? How do you grieve? I want you to answer that. Write that down. Answer that question. How do you grieve? And I, I'll just say this. My, my experience with most adult men is they suck at grieving. Uh, let me say it clinically. They suck <laughs> at grieving. We need to figure that out, guys. I'm going to try to help you a little bit this morning. But how would you answer that question? How do you grieve? Now, I love, I love Papaw. You know, again, I call my dad Papaw for the last, since the grandkids came along. If Papaw were here this morning and he answered that question, you know what he would say? Well, I just make sure I don't feel anything. I just, I just don't think about it. That's how he grieves. Not, not, not the right answer, Papaw. Love you, but no. How do you grieve? Guys, I, I obviously, I mean, there's books written about this, um, seminars on this. Two words that I'd invite you to write down in terms of the keys to grieving um, is to laugh and cry. In order to grieve, you've got to feel. The healing is in the feeling. Now, I've sat with people a lot smarter than me that have told me to my face that feeling is not an appropriate way to handle life circumstances. That is crazy as all get out. That's, that is ridiculous. I mean, what's the Psalms about? I mean, it's crazy. In order to heal, you've got to feel. And one of the great uh, tools of feeling is to laugh and to cry. Over the last five days, I've laughed more than I've laughed in years. And we, we've told Papaw stories. I'm gonna tell a couple of Papaw stories this morning. We've told story after story and we've cried. One of the saddest moments is when uh, Judy and I, um, went to the house, house I grew up in. I never grew up in any other house that I remember. And I was young um, enough to be in, a, in another house, but I don't remember that. So the house that I grew up in, we walked in that house. And many of you have experienced this. Walk in that house, ain't nobody home. Ain't nobody there. Just burst into tears. 
you know, excited that Papa's dancing with Jesus. But Dad, gone it. Dad, burn it, as Bobby Bowden would say. Dad, burn it. Dad, gum it. Yeah, Dad, gum it. Thank you. Dad, gum it. He's gone. Glad he's gone under the circumstances. Uh, but you've got to laugh and you've got to cry to do this grieving thing well. Tell the stories that make you feel. Tell the stories that make you laugh. Tell the stories that make you cry. But don't sit there and hold that in. You'll explode like a pressure cooker with a bad valve. That thing will get stuck and you will explode like green beans on the ceiling. Seen that happen at grandma's house. <laughs> Seen that happen. I'm, uh, I'm from East Tennessee, by the way, okay? So keep up with me. Third question I would ask you. Why do we need to remember the lives of those who have shaped our lives? Why do we need to remember? How would you answer that question? Write, write something down. Make something up. Let me give you just a minute. Why do we need to remember the lives of those who've shaped our lives? Why do we need to remember? Two things that I'd suggest to you. Something in reason. We need to remember because there's something about a person's life that is substantive and it brings value. Even a very broken person has great value, dignity, human life. There's something about his life. You know, so much of the reason that I'm doing what I do is because of, of my dad, both in his brokenness uh, and in his modeling of being a good, faithful man. Um, I'm very, very broken. And I've done some crazy stuff. And my dad was broken and I was angry with him, angry with him. I was an angry teenager, angry, rebellious college student, crazy, crazy. Um, and yet I understand so much more of what my dad stood for now and can honor him. And I've kind of reconciled that good and bad and it fits together like a puzzle. That's been a lifelong journey of understanding my life in the shadow of my dad's life. There's something of value about my dad's life that I see now that I did not see as clearly as I do now. Not in an idyllic way. I don't want to idealize my dad, but I want to see the good and the bad in a healing, healthy way. So something needs to be told. That's why we remember. And then the reason that we remember is in order to increase our faith. The reason that I remember uh, my dad and the reason that we are to remember those before us and the stories that are our lives is to increase our understanding of the faithfulness of God. God has been so faithful to you and to me, has he not? And he's done that through men and women and 
mothers and grandmothers and fathers and grandfathers we need to remember. So <clears throat> turn over, if you would, to Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, uh, again, again gets us to, it, into this idea of the incarnation. Jesus has come. And I, I love this passage. This is kind of the teasing out, if you will, of even John chapter 1. Last week I read John chapter 1. John uh, chapter 1 talks about the Word became flesh. And this idea of Philippians chapter 2 teases it out. Philippians chapter 2. If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if His love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor, agree with each other, love each other, be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. But guys, that is the living out of what I've been saying about this idea of sit, serve, and share. It, it, it is the um, embracing of the incarnational experience of Jesus. In your study Bible, verse 3 and 4 reads like this. So let me read it out of your study Bible. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. That's the living out of the incarnational gospel. That's Jesus with skin on it. And then it goes on to give Jesus's resume. Once again, verse five, think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no more, no, no matter what, not at all. Guys, I, I have to stop right here. I mean, this, this passage is so powerful and, and I've got a Rolodex of uh, uh, thoughts going through my head of uh, men that I've sat with in my counseling office that are demanding that they be respected. Dude, if you would get off your demandingness, you might be respected. I mean, listen to that. Listen to that. Let me just read it again. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what, not at all. Guys, humility is the foundation of character. And when you lose your humility and you're demanding respect, go back to start, do not pass go, do not collect $200. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death and the worst kind of death at that of crucifixion. 
Because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far beyond anyone or anything ever, so that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow and worship before this Jesus Christ and call out in praise that he is the master of all to the glorious honor of God the Father. The word became flesh, and we get to do the same every day. I want to show you um, a clip. And the reason I want to show you this clip, because it is kind of, kind of, in a certain sense, a clip that honors my dad, Papa. It's a Christmas movie. It's a wonderful life. The main character is George. And George is a good guy. And George starts going through crisis in his life. He's offered by Mr. Potter, the evil Mr. Potter, the keys to the world's kingdom. You can have it all if you just start working for Mr. Potter. And then he goes through tragedy. And Uncle Billy loses what was then an incredible amount of money. Not today. I mean, think about it. By the way, how much money did Uncle Billy lose? $6,000. Nope. Anybody? $8,000. Now, you know, $8,000 is a lot of money. But, goodness, you know, we could take up a collection in this room this morning if somebody really needed $8,000. We, we would figure that out, right? I mean, back when this movie was made, $8,000, that was a lot of money. A lot of money. And George is ready to commit suicide. He's standing on a bridge, ready to jump, and then... Clarence jumps in, and he's the angel, and, you know, it's crazy. Anyway, without going through the whole movie, all of life seems really crazy at times. It doesn't make sense. You meet good guys, you meet bad guys. But in the end, it all works out. In Bedford Falls, in Elizabethton, Tennessee, this is kind of what it looks like when you understand what God's doing. Watch George Bailey. Celebrate his life.
get this. It's from London. Oh. Mr. Gower cabled you need cash. Stop. My office instructed to advance you up to $25,000. Stop. Oh. Hee-haw and Merry Christmas, Sam Wainwright. Brother George, the richest man in town. <laughs> Christmas present from a very dear friend of mine. Yeah. Look, Daddy, teacher says every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. That's right. That's right. And a boy, Clarence. Guys, it's easy to think of It's a Wonderful Life as a cheesy chick flick. Don't do that. Don't do that. It's a picture of heaven, picture of rest, picture of restoration. It all works out in the end. God reconciles, makes all things new. There on your notes is um, what I shared in kind of an outline um, as um, at, uh, Papal's um, graveside, uh, the gathering, and kind of look at that, to honor, to grieve, to remember. And I want to close this morning. Um, when Judy and I went to the house, we were looking through Papal's stuff and opened his Bible. And in his Bible was the um, Father's Day card uh, that I gave him um, in June, last card that I wrote to him. Um, I had just gone up there and spent a week helping Judy um, um, with him, and I um, 
um, opened his Bible, and, and this was the card that I uh, wrote him, and, and um, you know, it's kind of uh, prophetic in a sense to me. Um, I want to share it as we close. The card itself says, being a good dad starts with being a good man. You're a guy who's clear on what really matters in life. It shows in how you take care of the people you love and how you treat everyone. You're a good man with a good heart, and you deserve a happy Father's Day. And then this is what I wrote. Dear Papa, my dad, grateful for the week I have just had with you. It is a gift. I'm glad I could help you in whatever small way physically you are challenged at 94 years old. I'm glad to serve you with a steady hand or shoulder to lean on. I'm grateful for the many opportunities you provided to me to be the man I am today. Your faithful, hardworking model has helped me to follow Jesus and provide for my girls. I see you as a model for me to follow, a man who is faithful and walks in integrity. My future is bright. I have much to look forward to because you have worked all your life to ensure I had what I needed to succeed. You've given to me well. You have fought the good fight. Well done. I love you. Happy Father's Day. Amen. Amen. Father, we are grateful uh, that you um, sent Jesus, the word became flesh. Thank you for the many opportunities that you give us to be Jesus with skin on it. Uh, help us to see those opportunities even today. We love you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week.